Welcome to MedHeads, the weekly show that brings a biopsychosocial focus to issues of the day, along with special guests who will showcase their expertise and enthusiasm about their field of practice. Your host, Dr. Fergal Armstrong. Hi, my name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong and welcome to this episode of MedHeads. Today we have a very special guest, Marty Kendall. He is a data biologist and his key field of interest is the optimization of nutrition. Marty, hello, how are you? Hey, Fergal, great to be with you and uh, looking forward to a fun chat. Yeah, it's great to see you. So, Marty, I've described you as a data biologist who's interested in optimizing nutrition. What exactly do you do? Uh, well, my day job is a civil engineer, but uh, <laughs> I'm married to a type 1 diabetic, uh, Monica, who's wonderful. And I suppose over, over the last 20 years, uh, it's just been a journey to try and understand nutrition and to say, well, how do we quantify nutrition uh, to help optimize actual health and uh, longevity and feeling great and trying to overcome all those challenges that you see out there. So I suppose I was frustrated to see so much confusion and so much um, frustration with the nutrition advice that's given. And it's like, well, we can quantify this to, to look at the nutrients in food and and insulin and blood sugar reactions. And I've just been on a bit of a quest over the last five years to, to quantify that and systematize it to dial it in. So yeah, here we are. All right, right. And so this all started for you, your, your journey started because your wife is a type one diabetic, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I suppose personal, um, just battling obesity and diabetes and family history, and I saw that coming down the pike for me, and I thought this is something we can quantify with numbers, and that's how I think about things. So right. um, it seems not everybody wants to put everything into a spreadsheet and analyze it, so I've tried to do that and tried to communicate that in the, the right. uh, you know, simplest, easiest way for people to understand. So it's, we should emphasize that the, the advice that you give, the data that you have is, 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 is aimed at, achieve, at helping people achieve normal weight. It's not just for people mm. with type 1 diabetes. This, this, what we're going to yeah, talk definitely. about is relevant to everyone in terms of optimizing yeah, nutrition correct. and weight and body correct. mass index. Yeah, Correct. So, okay. So what was the first lesson that you learned on your journey? Before we get to the detail of what we're going to talk, tell me your journey, the first lesson that you've got, and then we'll move on to wow. what your understanding is now. Yeah, I suppose um, I initially dug into the insulin index and the food insulin index and yeah. realized that we could dial in insulin levels. and, and But then I realized that the foods with the lowest insulin response are these really high fat foods that really lead to low satiety and low nutrient density. So I thought, hey, we need to bring those things together, the concept of nutrient density and insulin load, and then later satiety to help systematize nutrition for different goals. So yeah, it was a bit of a journey in finding that just avoiding insulin in the short term doesn't necessarily lead to optimum health and nutrition and there's a lot of other people with different goals there's people who need to lose weight stabilize their blood sugars some people are really active and need a lower lower satiety diet to help them fuel up and be active mm. or grow and so yeah just been trying to systematize right. for those different goals all right. all right so what you've done is you've collected a bucket load of data and from this data you have derived 
a number of key principles that allow you to mm. provide advice to, to people depending on mm. their goal. And this advice is mm. around nutrition, nutritional density, glycemic index, insulin yep. resistance, insul yep. hyperinsulinemia, and, um, the and also the management of type 1 diabetes. So is, is that a, uh, an appropriate summary of what you do? Yeah, yeah. I'll just, yeah, um, right. yeah, I have a, a blog, Optimizing Nutrition, and, and mm -hmm. a few tools that we're developing yeah. to try and get it out on a, on a wider scale. Right. So for people to, you, you have a, a website that people can log on to, isn't that right? Yep. Yeah, yeah optimizingnutrition.com. Optimizingnutrition.com. We've also mm -hmm. got um, nutrientoptimizer.com, which is the tool that yeah. helps people identify what nutrients they need based on their current food intake to toe right. align with their goal. Okay, so satiety. I think yep. reading, re listening to what you say and reading the information that you've given us uh, previously, for me, it's all about satiety rather than worrying about glycemic index. Is, is that yep. correct? Uh, I think that's probably the fundamental thing that everybody needs more of. And, and how do we like I'm, I'm fascinated by the, the reptilian instinct that drives us to eat. And as much as we fight it with our conscious brain, uh, our subconscious, our instinct to to get nutrients, to get energy, always wins out in the long run. So I suppose I've tried to reverse engineer that to say, well, what does your appetite want? It wants energy and it wants nutrients. And, you know, nobody's looking at which nutrients are you not getting enough of now and which foods provide that. So that's sort of the, the logical conclusion that we've tried to systematize to, to help people achieve that goal. So what you're saying is that Unless you're eating the right kind of foods, you're never going to optimize your satiety. Mm. So the next question, I suppose, is, well, I, I suppose it's not really a question, but, it, but chocolate bars and cake and crisps, yep. you know, and milkshakes and hamburgers, yep. they're not providing you with satiety, are they? No, no. And if you're told to eat less and move more when you're still eating those foods, you're, you're sending signals to your body. Um, you know, it, from a, from a evolutionary context, you can look at it in terms of these are the, the foods of autumn that help you provide for winter. And there's very few foods in nature that have that combination of fat and carbs together other than, you know, breast milk and nuts and acorns and these sorts of things that help animals prepare for the coming winter so it sounds a bit woo woo but um if you look at the modern junk food it's just this processed mush of of refined carbs and refined fat particularly vegetable oils and sugars and high fructose corn syrup and you can't find any modern processed junk food that you, th you think of as a comfort comfort food that's not that formula yeah. it also has really low nutrient density um, low satiety and it's full of colors and flavors thinking it's got nutrient doesn't so flavors that just override your natural appetite signals really well adapted to identify what you need from food so it's no wonder that we're so dysregulated and our appetite is so confused when we've got this environment that is so unnatural so yeah um, it's been interesting to take that journey of saying well Here's the philosophical evolutionary um, reptilian instinct and, and that neurobiology of appetite and try to 
align that with all the data we've analyzed. So we've analyzed half a million days of data from my fitness pal, and we've got another 60,000 days of data from um, our optimizers using chronometer, which gives us all the micronutrient data, which has been fascinating to say, well, how much of each of those micronutrients aligns with optimal levels of health and satiety? So what, what point do you get a, 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 a down regulation of appetite to the point that you're no longer chasing that food? So if you don't have enough potassium in food, your body's going to seek out more foods that contain potassium to get that nutrient and, uh, you know, protein leverage hypothesis has been really well proved, but we just seem to see the same relationship with all the other micronutrients. So it just seems critical to dial in those, um, all the, all the micronutrients that you can quantify basically to make sure you're getting enough of the ones that, um, all, of all of them. So we can focus on the, harder to find nutrients in your current diet and dial in the foods and meals that suit that best. So you were breaking up a little bit there because of a poor internet oh, connection. Sorry. So I just need to summarize this. So what you're yep. saying is that the comp a hamburger and French fries and a milkshake, that represents a, a lethal combination of refined carbs and refined fats yep. with low nutrient mm. density for all of the other essential mm. uh, nutrients that we need. As a result Correct. of which, those foods, whilst they are pleasurable, they do not mm. actually produce satiety. And therefore, because they lack satiety, we mm. eat more of it. So we're eating more and more junk food to try and chase satiety when what we should be doing mm. is eating a, a different set of foods that contains mm. a richer combination of micronutrients, mm. which will then give us and at an earlier stage in our in our eating journey, a, a higher degree of satiety, which will then allow mm. us to optimize nutrition to then lose weight and become more healthy. Is is that what you're saying? Have I heard that right? Oh, that sounds fantastic. I like right. it. Right. So so this this was news to me. Right. Let's talk about satiety. You, what you're saying is that a hamburger, fries, and milkshake, with a Cadbury's chocolate bar at the end. <laughs> That does not actually produce satiety. Is that what you're saying? Well, it's going to trigger you to want a whole lot more of that because you're overdriving that the dopamine signals that uh, you know basically tell your body that it, it, winter is coming in and you need more energy to build fat. So it's no wonder that everybody fails at just eat less and move more in that food environment that is just driving a preparation for winter. But we can trick... Um, we can sort of turn it around to turn it into a more of a, a spring-like food environment where we've got um, more leaner proteins and more fiber and more you know nutrient density per calorie that then allows us to to drop that weight coming into summer that we don't need anymore. So um, from an evolutionary, from a neurobiology of appetite, it all sort of seems to align nicely. Right. So. Those kind of foods, the co that, that combination of carbohydrates and fats in nature is found more in autumn foods like nuts, for instance. And that's what yep. animals who are going into hibernation uh, mm. uh, stock up on. So they're trying to build mm. fat stores. So in Correct. nature, the combination of carbs and fats equals a buildup of fat. Perfect. And, and, and it sends it, a signal to our appetite to just eat more now. And eat, and eat, eat, and gorge yourself. So is it any yourself. wonder it's then... It's hyperphagia. Yeah. So is it any wonder then 
that when we eat carbs and fat, yep. we put on fat and we want to eat more because we want to gorge ourselves. Because for, on, on, on some level, what you're saying is, is, is biologically, on a primal level, we are animals and we are prone to the same signaling, the dietary signaling that, that hibernating mm. animals uh, receive. We are also prone Correct. to that signal to put on weight, to rest, to eat more and sleep yep. for winter. Is yep. that, that's what you're saying. Yep. And so what we've got to do yep. as human beings who want, to, who want to optimize nutrition, who want to lose weight, we need to start eating the foods of spring. Is that right? Yeah, correct. And that involves a huge change in our awareness of nutrition. Yeah. So what I wanted to ask you then is, what are, I mean, you say that all micronutrients, anything that we can measure is important, but, but for the sake of the audience, what would be the main, most important nut nutritional elements? I don't want to use the word vitamin, but what would be the most important nutrients that we need to have a spring diet that we're not getting at the moment? If I'm eating hamburger, chips, fries, milkshake, and a chocolate bar, what am I not getting that I need to get? Yeah, and the second question to that is, the second question is, if I get those, will my satiety levels increase? Um, I suppose number one factor is the percentage protein in your diet. So it's not a matter of eating more protein, but it's a matter of eating a higher percentage of protein. And, and there's work by um, Simpson and Rabenheimer at the University of Sydney who've done this massive amount of work into the protein leverage hypothesis. And they've just shown in, I'm reading the book, their book at the moment called um, Eat Like Animals, and uh, it just goes through how they've proved in insects and gorillas and this whole massive amount of different um, animals that everybody eats enough food to get the protein they need. And if the protein, if, if the food is a lower percentage of protein, they have to eat more calories to get that. So number one is the percentage of protein. And if you look at our diet over the last 50 years, as we've basically injected fossil fuel fertilizers into our um, farming system, the amount of refined oil and refined um, carbohydrates that have come out of that. It's just basically this, um, you take the, the methane, put it into the, the fertilizer and into the ground and it comes out into you know soy and corn and, and, and whatever that, that we just combine in these amazing uh, scientific experiments of refined modern food that um, just overstimulate our appetite. So number one is protein and those modern processed foods have a, a very low percentage protein right. um, and a whole lot of refined carbs and fat. So number one is that percentage of protein, not more protein, but a high percentage of protein and you achieve that by dialing back the the carbohydrates and fat together but in a similar way we see the same thing with all the other vitamins and minerals and essential fatty acids that we need enough um, potassium enough magnesium enough omega-3 to satisfy our appetite because we need those for our essential bodily functions and if we can okay. get more of those per calorie we we thrive and our appetite is satisfied and our reptilian instinct settles down and we stop chasing food so if I could reflect that back to you, we need more protein, more potassium, more magnesium, and more omega-3 per calorie yeah, consumed. Per calorie, per calorie. Right. So that, that's now, the fundamental a, thing is nutrient right. density is per calorie. 
Right. So here's a question for you. You first said to me, when I asked you what's the, what are the important food elements, you first said protein. Yep. Why is your method different from the Atkins diet? Um, well, there's a lot of similarities. I suppose we've just quantified it um, to, to, to actually refine target. So the Atkins diet, a low carb or keto, it's just, you know, um, it's a one size fits all approach. And what we've done is said, okay, if your goal is this, then this is how you fine tune it to suit those different goals. But more importantly, I think if you're willing to track what you're actually eating, we can ascertain the nutrient deficiencies in your current diet and then basically um, recommend what it's a prescription for the foods that contain the nutrients that you need more of right. that will then satiate your appetite. So it's more quantified building mm. on the work of Dr. Bernstein and, and et cetera in the past to refine yeah. that. So basically what you're saying then is it's more refined because it deals with other essential nutrients other than just protein. Mm. Atkins, Atkins and you know, the protein-rich diets, they're basically a, a big sledgehammer that says, here's more steak. Whereas what you're yeah, saying is, yeah. you know, it's not just steak. You need potassium, magnesium, and omega three at all, at all. Yeah. Is, is that right? So yeah, so, and people so you, get really excited about oh. the, the the carnivore diet today, which is just a yeah. whole slab of steak and only meat. But there's so many benefits of, of seafood and and non-starchy veggies that provide all those other nutrients as yeah. well as just yeah. the meat. So I think it, you know, the the protein is important, but you need the other nutrients as yeah. well. So yeah. from from uh, looking at the plate, it looks like a lot of uh, a lot of veggies, but a, a massive amount of veggies and more than most people would eat and nearly looks plant based. But from a calorie basis, a lot of it comes from the protein. Yeah, I mean, speaking personally, uh, I don't like meat. You know, I, my wife is a carnivore. I personally am a herbivore, wow. and, and if you said to me, you know, you have to eat a steak every night, I'd say, I'm sorry, I just couldn't do it. I, I cannot yeah. eat a full steak, but I can eat wow. the chips, and I can eat the cake, and I can drink the ice cream, the milkshake. You know, I'm very good at that. So, okay, so so I, I suppose on on that though, we have we what we've done with all the recipe books that we've developed is actually said, you know, here's a plant-based diet. Let's how we can op see how we can optimize a plant-based diet or a vegetarian diet. So yeah. with, with the process, we can dial it in within any dietary preference or religion. I mean, nutrition is really so much belief based these days. So, you know, yeah. we've uh, dialed it in for all those different approaches with 22 different books. So you're not a one size fits all. You're, and no. I suppose that's what I'm saying is these other fad diets, the carnivore diet, the Atkins diet, yeah. it really is one size fits all. There's only one therapeutic intervention, yeah. which is more, more steak, less chips. You're a little yeah. bit more refined and you're able to be that refined because of the data that you've collected. Yep. Tell me about the data that you've collected. Yeah, um, as I alluded to before, initially we found this database of half a million days of MyFitnessPal data that we downloaded and analysed and looked at satiety in terms of um, protein, fats, carbs, uh, and didn't have a lot more data in that. But then we built Nutrient Optimizer where people upload their data and connect their chronometer to, which is a, a, a iPhone app, which we may even talk about the pros and cons of that later. But um, so they upload the data and then we basically 
got a database of 60,000 days of actual people living in the real world, not a, not a laboratory experiment, but you know, the real world where they're exposed to that milkshake and chips and cake every day. So they log their food and maybe it's not perfect, but when you've got 60,000 days of data, you can see real trends and they aligned really nicely with the macronutrient observations from my fitness pal, but we're also, as I mentioned before, able to dial in and slice down into, you know, how much omega-3 improves satiety and how much cholesterol do you need to improve satiety and what effect does saturated fat versus monounsaturated fat have on satiety. And then rather than setting the, looking at the minimum nutrient intakes to prevent deficiency, which is what the recommended daily intakes are, we can then look at the optimal nutrient intakes to look at what's achievable with real food that also aligns with greater satiety. So that was just incredibly exciting for me as a data biologist, which you've called me to a nutrition nerd to um, just say we can set new targets that aren't just aimed at preventing deficiency. But, you know, if you really want to level up and stretch uh, to optimize your nutrition, here, here's a, a new target you can set to, to yeah. work towards to get nutrients from your food. So as we've done that, we've just seen people have radical success and yeah. as they focus on giving their body the nutrients it needs, it, you know, the appetite just settles down and they don't really have to track their calories and try to eat less and move more. But as they focus on getting more nutrients per calorie, all that other stuff works itself out to a large extent. So, and of course, this, this data bank that you've got will only become more and more accurate and more and more mm. valuable the more that yep. the public use it. So the more yep. people that you've got trafficking into your site, uploading yep. their, their real life data, as you say, rather than control scientific mm. experiments, their real life data, mm. the more valuable mm. the, the data bank becomes, the more lessons that you can learn from it. You know, so what yeah, you've yeah. got here is, is the, the seedling of a, of a very valuable resource that can in the future mm. end up informing us with so much more detail. And, and ultimately, mm. I suppose we're looking at the potential for really individualized data plans, sorry, meal plans. But that's, mm. that's already what you're doing, isn't it, to a, to a certain extent? Yeah, yeah, we're just about to release a, a new version of Nutrient Optimizer, which is sort of a yeah. platform tool that says, based on what you've currently eaten in the last week, these are the meals and foods that you should prioritize in the coming week. So that's sort of yeah. the, you know, a vision realized of four years of really hard work to, yeah. Um, yeah. to have a personalized nutrition prescription for people with real food. So yeah. it just thrills me to bits. I think it's fabulous. Now, Thank you. there's a couple of things that, that, that I wanted to ask you. So I've got three things on my mind. One, the role of fiber. Two, the role of yep. glucose monitoring. And three, the role of time-restricted eating. I'm not sure we're going to have time yep. to cover all of these, but I'm, I'm sure that we'll talk <laughs> again. Uh, let's talk about fiber. One of, one of my concerns with, with the carnivore diet is that it is fiber it poor. It's not very good in fiber. Yep. And fiber, we all, you know, previously we used to think that fiber was metabolically inactive and it was basically a way of allowing you to keep your bowels going and achieve regularity of the bowel. Now we realize that fiber is metabolically active. It lowers uh, blood sugar rushes and it's very protective against um, you know, bowel cancer and things like that. Yep. 
So a lack of fiber in the, in, a, in, in the Western diet, I think, is part of the responsibility for all of the, the, the dietary and nutritional-related problems that we are experiencing. Mm. Where does fiber come into your system? Uh, fiber is definitely beneficial, um, but we don't actually target it as a quantitative goal. But once you're getting food that contains all the particularly the minerals, you're getting yeah. heaps of fiber. Yeah. So if, yeah. you're, if you've got a nutrient-dense diet, you'll get heaps of fiber. But for those carnivores, or they, they, they still seem to do okay. But I suppose what we see at the same time is you get to a point where you become, Nassim Taleb talks about being anti-fragile. And if you have such a mono diet that you're, microbial diversity reduces to the point uh, really diminishes a lot of the people that go on a carnivore diet are doing so because they've got autoimmune issues or some sort of gut issue and um, just so many of them become quite fragile that if they have a whiff of flour or a potato you know all hell breaks loose and uh, they're in a lot of trouble so um, I think having a diverse rich diet that contains all the micronutrients is going to do you really well and that's yeah. probably where maybe for some people a carnivore diet can be a an interesting elimination diet to take out all those fibrous things that do give a lot of people a lot of trouble but i think an optimal diet tends to contain a, a wide variety of you know meat seafood um and and vegetables so yeah fiber definitely has a a positive role in satiety, but and it sort of bulks out the diet and has a lower energy density, but uh, not as much as protein is what we see in the data. So it's hard to get 20% fiber in your diet to the point that you uh, can actually leverage the satiety effect of, of fiber versus protein, where if you increase the percentage of protein in, the, in your diet, you get a much greater um, leverage effect from that. So definitely positive, but um, protein is more powerful. Right. So protein is king, but if you're doing your method, you'll get the fiber anyway. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, right. correct. That, 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 okay. That's the essence of it. Right. So let's talk then about uh, the role of time-restricted eating. What do you think about yep. that? Oh, I think it's fascinated, fascinating. Um, I suppose I have, uh, I've tried a lot of things in the past five years in my little nutritional adventure and um but i think a lot of people struggle with the whole concept of fasting and and you know fasting's great and i feel great but there's so many people that that lose a bit of weight and then gain it back as they finish yeah. the fast and just go back and eat whatever and they feel entitled to eat a whole yeah. lot more again and they tend to because they're you know they can't refeed on a high protein they, they can't get enough protein and nutrients when they're refeed so their overall nutritional quality goes down which leads them back into that binge restrict cycle that we talked about before right. that especially that exacerbates because you've got this massive hunger um, combined with a, a nutrient poor diet when you refeed so really what you're saying then is that that, that refeeding uh, or, or rather the breaking of the fast not necessarily the mm. meal called breakfast but the breaking of the fast mm is as important as the fast itself and Definitely. if you don't get that right then you've basically wasted all the effort you put into fasting is that what i'm hearing 
And potentially made it worse, I think. And potentially made it worse. So how do you break a fast? What should you be eating? Uh, yeah, I, I suppose um, there's a difference between a, a long-term therapeutic fast that you might have like a three-plus days of not eating where you get this massive autophagy effect of you know, purging things and improving things at a fundamental cellular level and improve your mitochondrial function, etc. But I think a lot of those things can be leveraged uh, and attained by just having shorter term fasts. And this is the the concept of um, data driven fasting using blood sugars that I think you wanted to get onto that's been my little baby lately. You started to, um... it. Let's talk about blood sugars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm fascinated by this there. idea. I'm absolutely fascinated um, by this. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the concept of, um, you know, as we talked about earlier, you get into a, this binge restrict cycle and people need enough restriction, but not too much restriction. And a lot of people lose their mind tracking. Like we, we really like tracking food with chronometer to um, identify the micronutrients you're not getting enough of and sort of dial in your macronutrients and micronutrients a bit. But if if you're looking at overall long-term energy restriction, outsourcing your uh, appetite to an iPhone app is destined to fail because some days you're trying to hit 1,800 calories and you haven't exercised much and you're probably overeating, but other days you're undereating because you did a massive amount of exercise and you're you just really need the food, but you're trying to restrict. So all of a sudden you've you've dysregulated, you've disconnected your appetite from your actual bodily needs. So came across this idea a while ago, um, I suppose being married to a type 1 diabetic, it's sort of obvious, but um, Dr. Bernstein, who's a type 1 diabetes guru, just recommends people maintain blood within a certain range and insulin dose to, to maintain that. But there was a a concept called hunger training that's um, been investigated in University of Otago in New Zealand, where they found really amazing results by um, just waiting till your blood sugar dropped down to a certain point before you ate again. And what they found is that you need a, a personalized blood sugar target. So if someone's a raging type two diabetic and their average blood sugar is, you know, eight millimoles, to try and get them down to four That's and a half, good, which Marty. might be considered optimal, they're going to um, really be out of their mind with hunger and have to fast for days and days and days before they get to that point. So if you define your own and say, okay, your average pre-meal trigger is seven, let's wait till you get to 6.9. And then if you're hungry, you can eat. So it's basically using your body as a, a your blood sugar as a, as a fuel gauge, which Right. It's really exciting because, you know, your blood sugar really just sits on top like gasoline and oil on your your uh, glucose in your bloodstream and, and your fat in your bloodstream and your fat in the body. So to deplete all these other things down here, that the fat in your body, which is most of what most of us are after, you have to wait until the glucose is burned off at the top before you can work through those other fuel sources. So um, just, you know, you can actually use your home blood sugar meter as a as a fuel gauge to identify when that hunger is real and when you just want that hamburger that is sitting in the fridge or you know it's breakfast time or you know the kellogg's cereal ad told you that you know you should eat and that's associated dopamine hit from the the twisties ad from 
days of our lives yeah. of Grey's Anatomy yeah. that they seem to, you know, everything yeah. is so dysregulated and, and they've worked out how to hack our appetite to make us eat for a whole bunch of reasons other than other nutrients than and actual energy requirements. So I just wanted to, you just mentioned Kellogg's, I just wanted to say that the reason why people think that breakfast is the most important meal of the day is because Kellogg's told us. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. Listen, yeah. Marty, we're, we're going to have to wrap it up now because we're coming up to the end of the show. <laughs> I think what you we've we've only touched the surface of this. I'd love to have you back on Medheads again to great. talk about this in greater detail. I really look forward to the next time. Yeah. Thanks Thank so, you much so much for your time. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Virgil. So for more information on Marty Kendall and his uh, optimizing nutrition, see the links below. That's it for today's Medhead show. My name is Dr. Virgil Armstrong, and I look forward to your joining with us again soon.